This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. And yes, in Redskins territory, but Christ has broken down every dividing wall. <laughs> we are one. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you, Pastor Thurman, for, and your wife, Melissa, for joining us in Dubai back in February. Um, it's a joy to now be with you as he's come to be with us. And uh, it's a joy to be here in my first, for my first time in my life in Suffolk. And I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, you can correct me after the service if, no, if I am not. Um, well, I bring you greetings from my wife, Angela, and our children who uh, Pastor Thurman mentioned are not with us today. My wife is from central Pennsylvania. And she calls at home, and so she is there spending time with her, her parents, but certainly is praying for us this morning as we gather. I also bring you greetings from Redeemer Church of Dubai, where I serve as an elder and, as uh, Thurman mentioned, to uh, direct our church planting and leadership training efforts. Um, this church, by God's grace, has grown to hundreds of believers gathering every week, worshiping Christ from 50 different nations, but together in Dubai. And it's a joy to be part of that church family. We'll get to talk some more about that ministry a little bit during the message, but then more fully tonight. So I'd invite you to come back and join us this evening if you're able. Well, let me just uh, pray for us before we begin, begin to look at God's word this morning. And, and if you want to turn to Matthew 24, that's where we'll be. So let me just spend a few minutes uh, or a moment in prayer, and then we'll look at Matthew chapter 24. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We desire to see your will be done. Lord, I pray that your name would be, would be felt as weighty and holy this morning as we look into your word and see what it is that you would have to say to us. Father, I pray that you would use us, that, Father, we would be willing to be used by you. Lord, we desire to see your glory to all nations. We desire to see people from every nation around that throne. And we pray, but we pray that this morning would be a moment, would be an opportunity for each of us to consider our role within that work. Father, give us ambition for your gospel. Give us ambition for your holiness. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Matthew 24 and verse 14 Matthew 24 and verse 14, and it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And on the basis of this verse, where we'll spend our entire time this morning, I have a single, I think biblical, and perhaps unsurprising goal which is to encourage you, and I want to call everyone in this room, for, to an ever-increasing engagement in the global advance of the gospel in our day. So I'll say that again. I want to encourage everyone in this room, from the youngest person to the oldest, to an ever-increasing engagement in the global advance of the gospel in our day. A one joy for me as I come to this stage this morning is what I've heard about you already, that as a church, you are engaging in the global advance of the gospel. 
that this church has a rich history of sacrificial giving and of sending to the nations. And I praise God for that. So I feel like a little bit of Paul in Philippians 3 where he says, it's no burden for me to write to you again the things that you already know. And so to my joy, I think some of this will be to you simply an encouragement to excel still more in that which you are already doing. But for some of you, this might be a time for you to consider for the first time or a time for you to reconsider where you're at in terms of your engagement with God's global purposes. Well, this verse comes to us and it's challenging us, even just on our first reading, without me explaining anything, to a global understanding, this all nations understanding of the gospel. And before we get too far into that, I feel like I do have to say a word of affirmation to your local ministry. As we look at the global advance of the gospel, what we don't need to think is that local ministry is unimportant. There are certainly people in this church and in your lives that are struggling. There are broken marriages. There are rebellious children. There are people without work. There are people struggling spiritually. And it is a good and holy thing to have an ambition to do them spiritual good in Christ. Local mission is essentially uh, essential to the work of Christ and essential to the church. So don't in any way think that the missionary is here to tell you to forget all that and just move to the nations. No, your ministry here in this church and in this community is essential to the gospel. We praise God for it. And not only your local ministry in terms of your evangelism, your discipleship, your work in this church, but your daily work is essential to the gospel. Praise God for the jobs that he's given you and the vocations that you have that contribute to the flourishing of this city and this uh, country. Praise God for the way he is providing for your family through your work. So in no way do I, again, mean to say that because we start talking about the nations that we need to immediately uh, neglect our local ministry or we need to immediately abandon our careers. But no, there's something bigger than that that we need to consider and then ask, where do those things fit into the bigger goal of the global advance of the gospel? The big banner flying over our entire lives, our local ministry, Our daily work ought to be the desire to see the gospel go forward. Because although in Suffolk, Virginia, you might be tempted and lulled into an understanding or a thinking that the church is doing quite well, we can walk out the doors of this church this morning and see several other church buildings. Um, One of them even called First Baptist Church just down the road. Um, There is a lot of churches here in Virginia And you might be tempted in your daily life to begin thinking about, well, the church is doing okay, so I can just go about my business. Well, I think we could mount an argument that the the gospel is still needed here. It is still uh, essential for you to be engaged in the advance of the gospel here in this city. But brothers and sisters, so much more in other places in the world. Where my wife and I have the the joy of serving and living in Dubai, we are surrounded by desperate gospel need. And that's just one example of the many places in the world. Dubai is in the geographic center of the 1040 window. As Thurman mentioned, that region of the world that goes from North Africa through the Middle East, through Pakistan and India, all the way to Japan. That region of the world that holds the world's majority population. 
not only do most of the world's population live there, but most of the people least reached and unreached by the gospel live in this region of the world. To even be more specific than a region or a city, in our neighborhood where we live in Dubai, the older part of town, it's a, it's a congested and energetic and vibrant part of the city. Just in this neighborhood of the town, there are more mosques in that neighborhood than we have church members in Redeemer. Over 700 mosques are in our neighborhood. Now imagine for a moment the reality that impresses on us in our day-to-day lives as we hear the call to prayer five times a day for people to enter these, one of these 700 mosques. And we realize there's much work to be done. Well, I hope that you can feel the same burden even here in Virginia by realizing that the gospel is needed in these places. The gospel is needed in Dubai, and the gospel is needed throughout the 1040 window. And that's what we see in our passage today. Matthew 24 falls in a, in a set of chapters, um, chapter 24 and 25, that are extremely difficult passages. These are the kind of passages that Bible college students love to stay up late in the night debating, that end times conspiracy theorists love to pick uh, words and phrases and match it with newspaper articles and come up with schemes. And, I, and there's a lot to be learned here, and I commend that study to you at another time. But we're going to talk about today, verse 24, 14 is crystal clear. It hardly needs any explanation. Fifty years ago, George Ladd, a, a theologian, um, a key theologian in the last days, called Matthew 24, 14, listen to this, perhaps the single most important verse in the Word of God for God's people. The single most important verse in the word of God for God's people. This verse, Matthew 24, 14. Well, he identified an outline for us in this verse, which is that this verse identifies our message, our mission, and our motive. Our message, our mission, and our motive. And I want to look at those three things for the remainder of our time. The message is this gospel of the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom that is to be proclaimed. Well, first we need to know what is the gospel of the kingdom? What is it that um, Matthew is relating to us from Jesus here? Well, it's simply this, that God is king. God is king. The God that we worship, that you came here this morning to worship, is the king of the entire universe. Psalm 103.19 The Lord has established his throne in the heaven. His kingdom... Rules over all. Our God is king. Our God is sovereign over nature. He is the one that put the stars in their place. Not a speck of sand in the Arabian desert is there without God's knowledge of it. Without his control over it. He is sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over nations. There is no king, no ruler, no sheikh or president that is in control of this universe or in this world. Or even the nation for which they hold office. Only the Lord. It is the Lord who appoints kings and presidents. God is sovereign. God is king. But we know that even just by reading the Old Testament, in the New Testament we see something even more glorious. That our king has come. Our king has come to earth and not only is this sovereign Lord who reigns over everything high and lifted up, but he is near to us. And he has come to us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So that Christ can say, as he ascends into heaven, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. 
Well, who could give him all authority other than the king of all? As we worship Christ, we are worshiping the God who is king. All authority has been given to him. And I'm afraid that for so many of us, we miss that. And we, we see Christ not as our king. We see Christ as our moral instructor. We see Christ as our, as our, our, our loving boyfriend. We see Christ in so many other ways, but yet do we see him as our king who is not begging for our affections, but commanding our service. You know, any good king will rule justly. And our God does that. He has appointed a day when all men will stand before him in judgment. Some, even in Matthew 25, you could read on and see this, some will go to eternal life, others to eternal punishment. This message of the kingdom comes with a king who rules justly, but loves mightily. On that day when people will be separated, some to a life, some to punishment, that king made a way through Christ. Through Christ that you can be among those that are in eternal life. How do we know that? Well, we saw in Christ the very things that we know to be true about God. He, he was sovereign over nature. He lifted his hands and the storms were still. He was sovereign over disease. The lame were walking. The blind were seeing. He was sovereign over sin. He himself knew no sin. He was sovereign over death. He could call people to life from the grave. And he himself could not be contained by the grave, but was victorious over it. And now offers life to those who would bow the knee to him as king. So friends, let's just stop a moment before we get into the mission stuff and start thinking about the global advance of the gospel and just ask for a moment if the gospel has advanced into your heart or if you are still seeking to be king of your own universe. Have you bowed the knee to the Savior? Not as someone who's weak, and seeking your help. But as someone who owns the universe and who rules over all and has made a way for you to enter into his kingdom. You see, this this message of the kingdom, what I just shared with you and invited you to consider, this message of the kingdom is the same message that we preach in all places. Whether here in Virginia, whether in Pennsylvania, whether in Ohio, or whether in the 1040 window. We see at Redeemer people from all different nations. Think of, um, in the last couple of weeks, a, a Filipino lady who, um, by God's grace, ba- we baptized a few weeks ago. She came to our church because one Saturday morning, she was at a bus stop. She was living her entire life uh, in habitual sin. She had affair after affair after affair. She was passionately unfaithful to her husband. She woke up one Saturday, committed to finding another man to be in sin with, and sat at a bus stop. A church member of ours was there at the bus stop and, and struck up a conversation with her, asked her where she was going, invited her to come and attend services at Redeemer. And over a couple of weeks, as that lady attended services and heard the gospel from church members, became saved. She bowed the knee to King Jesus, repented of her sin. And joined us. 
Or think of Sherdil, an Indian friend from a, from a very strong Hindu family. This, this brother came to Christ because um, of friends on university campuses in Dubai. They were holding a Bible study. And they invited him, why don't you come along to our Bible study? We're studying the book of Mark. Sherdil had never studied the Bible. He never opened a Bible. He had never attended a Christian gathering. But because friends were bold in, in encouraging him to come and attend, he heard the gospel And after a lifetime of Hinduism was saved by reading about King Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there is no other message. There's no other gospel except the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what we share. You can't stop the gospel of the kingdom. Well, that's our our message. That's what we present to the world. But what is our mission? Well, our mission, as I already hinted at even, even from Matthew 28 where Christ claims all authority what are the very next words from Christ's mouth all authority in heaven on earth has been given unto me therefore go make disciples our mission in light of the kingship of Jesus is to go throughout his kingdom everywhere that he reigns and announce that he is king That's our goal. That is our message. And when that goal is announced and when that message is proclaimed throughout his domain, then he will come again and reign with us forever on earth. We see that in our passage as well. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. There's there's so much here. Well, let me just just think of two things with you about our, our mission. Where and how. Where and how. So the where of our missions that we see here is in the phrase, all nations. Now this might be familiar to some of you, but let me just remind you that when this is talking about nations, it's not talking about the United States, it's not talking about France, it's not talking about um, Paraguay or Panama. These are nations that we now recognize as the countries of the world. But obviously when Christ wrote this, they weren't even in existence. Or when Matthew wrote this, rather. When Christ said it. They were not even in existence, so it must mean something different than that. And what this phrase means is people groups, is the phrase we would use now. Families, tribes, clans. And the technical definition of it is a group of people that have a a similar culture sufficient to which the gospel cannot enter into that culture without significant work. I can talk to you right now and speak English and you can understand what I'm saying and uh, we can have an encouraging and an enriching time together because our cultures are similar enough, although that you might root for the Redskins. We can do that. But you would have a challenge doing that with the Berber in North Africa or the Han in China. Or if we want to think further back, the Hittites or the Jebusites or the Canaanites. These are not countries. These are peoples. These are specific groups of people. So this verse is reminding us that there is a need for all of these different peoples to hear the message. How many of those are there? There's differing counts of how many peoples and people groups there are. The IMB would tell us that there's over 11,600 of these different people groups. Only 6,000 of which have been reached by the gospel. That means that if you are are born today, 
just by the count of people groups, there is a very good chance you would be born into a group of people that has no access to the gospel. No access to the gospel. So the where of missions, the where of missions must be informed by the need of the gospel. Now again, local mission is important. Local ministry is important. The local church is God's instrument in this day to make disciples. But there's a purpose for the local church, which is to advance the mission. The purpose of First Baptist Church, Suffolk, Virginia, is not to build this building. The purpose of this church is not to have a good child care and good music. These are important things that are helpful in presenting a platform by which people can be sent, resources can be distributed, and that lives can be changed such that all nations might come to hear the gospel of the kingdom. People groups and this unreached people thinking is helpful in showing us where in the world the gospel is needed. So how? How, how do we go about this mission? How do we go about this endeavor of getting the gospel to those that are least reached and unreached by it? We proclaim it. We proclaim the gospel. It's as simple as what this verse says. We proclaim it, and then we can add to that, we invest in its proclamation. We need to open our eyes to the nations and see the need. And see as we see that, our own place within it. Friend, if you look at your life, if you look at the daily grind of your schedule, if you look at your financial planning, you have so much in this bucket, so much in that bucket. If you look at your relationships, you have a few friends at church, a few friends over here. If you look at all of that, if you put it on the, on the table, how much of that has an intentional global trajectory to it? How many of your friends, as you seek to encourage them and pray for them, do you have an eye towards, this person might be called to the nations? What, what if I prayed about that with them? What if I encouraged them and helped them think through what they might do? As you look at your finances, are you a, a good investment portfolio, a good financial advisor? I would always tell you, have a diverse portfolio. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, that's all we're saying here. Does your portfolio show any ambition for the nations? Hopefully it shows some ambition for this local church. Don't start thinking about the nations before you support the local ministry that you're part of. But friend, does the need around the world give you an ambition to use the resources that God has given you for the nations? Invest in the proclamation of the gospel. Consider it and consider being one who goes to proclaim. Consider being like Callie. Callie's one of my heroes. She's a member of our church at Redeemer. Callie's a, a, a school teacher in the U.S., or was, applied for a job in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, where Dubai is. She applied for a job there and now works at a school where all of the students in the school are from an unreached people group. So Callie is paid by an unreached people group 
to be around unreached peoples all day long, lovingly instructing them and building relationships with them and manifesting Christ's love and proclaiming the gospel to as many as that will listen. Callie's one of my heroes, a faithful school teacher. And by her presence in the UAE and participation in our church, she's helping us plant a new church in another area. So thankful for Callie. Or what about Tom? Tom's one of our elders at Redeemer. Tom is a, is a man who's chosen to live his career out in Dubai. For the good of his business and for the good of the gospel, he's chosen to spend his life in Dubai. He now runs two businesses in addition to being an elder, employs many people in the church, faithfully shares the gospel in his workplace and through his business relationships, disciples people within the church. Tom is one of my heroes. Or, or if you're more drawn to full-time ministry, proclaiming the gospel in a place like the UAE, think of Blaine. Blaine's a church planting resident with us. He's, we're sending him out this fall to start a new church, a new gospel preaching church in a city about an hour and a half from Dubai. This city is, over 50% is from one people group that is unreached. Half the city. And we have the ability and the desire to plant another church there. Consider your role in that. Maybe you're a Cali, maybe you're a Tom, maybe you're a Blaine. Who knows what the Lord would have you to do, but consider whether proclaiming the gospel to all nations is not something that he would be calling you to. And friend, even if your role is not to go and proclaim, do invest in this proclamation as we've already said. Find a Cali, find a Tom, find a Blaine. Pray for them. Encourage them. If they need finances, help them with that. Let them know that your heart is with them as they seek to advance the gospel to all nations. That's our mission. Our mission is to get this gospel out. To get this message of the kingdom out. To look at the world, see where it's not, and to ask ourselves, what's our place in seeing it go there? So lastly, in addition to that, we want to look at our motive. Our motive. Why should we do this? Again, this verse is crystal clear. We get the gospel out because we want to see Jesus. We want Jesus to come back. We want to be around that throne in heaven where people from every tribe and tongue are gathered singing praise to his name because he has chosen to use us to go and share the gospel with those people. And now we have the joy of being with them around the king. Brothers and sisters, our motivation in life to be about this mission and to spread this gospel is not guilt. I in no way, and I hope that none of you walk out from this room guilted into giving to missions or guilted into praying for missions or or certainly not guilted into going to overseas global mission. Guilt is is a terrible motivator. Rather, let us be motivated by worship. Let us be motivated by the fact that as this gospel goes out, the return of Christ becomes closer. Do you not want to see your Savior? I'm convinced that a a verse like this is extremely motivating to our enemy. It is extremely motivating to our enemy to distract us from this mission. Because when the end comes then the final victory is won. 
Death has conquered. Satan is defeated. Satan wants nothing more than to keep us from taking the gospel to all nations. Brothers, sisters, do you want, to come, do you want him to come back? Do you want to worship our king when all tears have been wiped away? Where all sin is gone and sorrow is removed and we see our king face to face? I want that day. Now you might say, well, wait a second. How, how do we know our definition of people groups is right? How do we know that what you're saying about all these different groups of people, that we can just go and find them and then somehow force Jesus to come back? Is that, is that how it works? Well, no, that's, that's not how it works. But what we can say is that he hasn't come back yet. So the job is not done. There's no question that we don't know for sure if we've defined people groups correctly and exactly um, how we can reach each and every individual group. Again, in Dubai, there's groups of people from every different nation that are gathered in the one city. Well, George Ladd also comments on this, and he says, God alone knows the definition of the terms. I cannot precisely define who all the nations are, but I don't need to know. I only know one thing. Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. When it is done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining terms. Our responsibility is to complete the task. So long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. Let us get busy and complete our mission. Well, friends, that, that is, that's my encouragement to, to you today. With this message of the kingdom and this mission of the global need of the gospel and this motivation of worship, let's give our lives. Let's lose our lives, if necessary, for the advance of Christ's kingdom and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Let's pray together. Father, we ask these things in your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, who you gave all authority in heaven and on earth and who reigns supreme, Lord, we long for the day when his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for the day when the new heavens and the new earth, we see him as he is and behold your glory in the face of Christ. Lord, make us busy about your mission in this world. Free us from the distractions that so easily entangle us. And draw us to yourself as we reach out and love. In Christ's name, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1, 12, 
to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.